All right, good afternoon and welcome to today's Capital One Teachable Tuesday webinar, co-sponsored by COSIDA and the N4A. We are pleased to offer a discussion on LGBTQ plus inclusion initiatives in college athletics. Part one, the administrator point of view. This is part one of the discussion and we'll follow with a part two webinar next Tuesday, which will feature the views of student athlete panelists. Today, we have four phenomenal panelists that will engage in a thoughtful conversation. I am Risa Lovelace, the Assistant AD from, of Student Athlete Development at the University of Maryland, and I will serve as the webinar moderator. We appreciate you joining us today. So before we begin, we would like to say a quick thank you to corporate partner Capital One, presenting, co presenting sponsor of COSIDA's Continuing Education Series. As a reminder, the on-demand webinar will be posted later today on COSIDA.com and COSIDA's YouTube channel. We also will have this as a podcast and you'll be able to download it from the services listed on COSIDA.com. Please invite your colleagues to listen and watch the on-demand webinar as it is free to everyone. Thank you to all who have submitted questions in advance and we encourage you to submit any questions you might have place them in the chat box and your questions will be addressed throughout the webinar. So as I mentioned, we have four esteemed panelists who are ready to engage in an inclusive and thoughtful conversation. So let's meet our four phenomenal panelists. So in alphabetical order, we have Amy Hutchhausen, the Commissioner of America East Conference, Lane Ingram, President's Office Project Coordinator and Women's Basketball Coach of Lansing Community College, Amy Sinicola, a Sports Information Director at Indiana University at South Bend, and Gary Pine, the Director of Athletics at Azusa Pacific University. Well, panelists, let's just jump into this conversation. Today, we're here to talk about LGBTQ plus and college athletics. So what brought you to the table and why is this conversation important to the industry today? Lane, you wanna jump in first? Sure, sure. Uh, I'm happy to be here. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Um, you know, I'm here because what we do, what we say, um, it matters. You know, it matters. And we're in positions where um, we can we can make the difference and we can we can change lives with our with our support. Um, I'm from Lansing, Michigan. And um, in 2017, I came out as transgender. And, um, you know, that was that was life changing um, and it was big and LCC was a big part of that. And so I'm here because I like to share some of the things that we've done at LCC, um, share what my experiences have been like and also um, kind of talk from the student athlete point of view um, in terms of how we can support them, um, you know, and make this, you know, kind of make everything uh, more inclusive, make it better um, all around campus wide. You know, I'll, I'll go with that, Risa, and thank you for inviting me to be a part of this. Um, give you a little bit of background on me. Uh, I'm the director of athletics at Azusa Pacific, which is an NCAA Division II school out in Southern California. It is a faith-based school. Uh, um, I'm a man of, of deep faith. It's a it's a driving force in in my daily life. Um, I'm also on the leadership team of Common Ground, which is um, an NCAA initiative to bring together uh, people of faith and people of the LGBT community to find the common ground. I think it's um, fairly obvious that in our past as a, as a country and as a culture, uh, those have been two divergent uh, people groups that uh, have not 
intermingled. And so I've been a part of that project for the last uh, seven years, uh, six, seven years. And it has been a, a very impactful uh, activity or uh, involvement for me in terms of learning how to have conversations with people who uh, think differently, live differently, see the world differently, and and to find the abilities to um, to sit at a table together and to put our cards on the table and to find uh, those areas where we do have common ground. And so um, this conversation, uh, I'll say, is fascinating now, but I'll be honest, when I entered into it six, seven years ago, uh, I entered in with a great deal of trepidation and of fear. Um, some of it because of what I see in the media, some of it just because of you know, my own personal fears and, and which I think are common to all people. Um, but it has been um, very transformative in my life to be a part of this conversation, uh, to expose myself to difficult and challenging conversations and yet see the rewards of those. And so um, that's why I'm here today and looking forward to where this goes over the next hour. Gary, I'll, I'll piggyback off that one. Um, thank you for having me here today. Um, it's a pleasure. Um, I, um, like Risa said, I am the Sports Information Director at Indiana University South Bend, um, an NAI school in South Bend, Indiana. Um, I got here because a colleague and friend of mine, Katie Gonzalez, another SID from Illinois Wesleyan, reached out to me and asked me if I um, wanted to be a part of the panel. Um, having been a former student athlete at a very religious school, Liberty University, um, I wasn't comfortable with who I was. Um, or exploring who I was and coming out um, because of the beliefs and values of the university. Um, and on top of that, I was also raised um, in a very religious Baptist home. Um, so I was very afraid of figuring out who I was and coming out. Um, and it's also in an area, I'm from West Michigan, Grand Rapids area. And at the time, wasn't or still isn't very inclusive or LGBT friendly. Um, so all of that was really hard for me to to come out um, and to be accepting of who I was. Um, so I felt, um, you know, I was afraid and I finally came out about five years ago. Um, and now here I am. And that's why I have a passion for what I do. Um, I want to, now that I'm an openly gay female working in college athletics, um, I want to be that role model um, for the next generation of student athletes. Um, I want to be a sounding board for them if they ever need to talk about something um, and just to create that welcoming space in athletics. And um, I will go, go last and share a little bit about why I think I'm part of this conversation. I appreciate the invitation, just like uh, the fellow panelists mentioned, to be part of this conversation. It's one that I embrace and you know welcome any opportunity to talk about LGBT plus inclusion because I think it's so important uh, both personally to me and then also professionally as we think about all the student athletes and coaches and staff and administrators that we serve um, at a very critical point in the lives as as Amy just talked about being a college student and struggling with some of this stuff you know we have a great opportunity probably the best opportunity to reach young people through through athletics and, and talk about so many different things, but LGBT plus inclusion to me is, is really, really important for all the struggles that individuals have as they come to sort of embrace themselves as they you know emerge into adulthood and what have you. 
Um, I feel really fortunate to have the position that I have as commissioner of the America East Conference, which is a division one conference based in Boston. Our schools are primarily in the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic. Um, to, to work with a group of schools, presidents, athletic directors, you know, coaches, student athletes, and you know, particularly in this part of the country that, that we live in, that is generally a little bit more progressive, quite candidly and open to some of these things. Um, that has allowed us as a conference to really move forward. We've been working on LGBTQ plus inclusion now for over six years, I think, maybe even seven years as a conference initiative. And to see that continue to grow and not be just a one year, one shot deal has been really impactful, I know, to our institutions, to our community that we serve, and then also to the young people and people in their campus community. So um, I, I feel, like I said, I feel really blessed and fortunate to work with a league where we can really dive into some of these issues and support them, support our student athletes and be able to talk about it now, like I said, six or seven years later to I think be one of the you know, leaders, at least in Division One, from a conference perspective, to be doing this in a, in a pretty robust way. So you all talked very about how we are supporting our student athletes. I want to take it a little step further. And Amy Hutchhausen, I want to start with you because you have done um, a lot of work with your conference in regards to supporting your LGBTQ plus student athletes. But can you give us a little bit more and how does this also support the staff and coaches at those institutions um, with the, the campaign you all have? Yeah, I mean, to be clear, as a conference with, you know, nine institutions for a while now, 10 institutions, there's only so much that the conference can do, right? Because our touch points with our student athletes and coaches and staff is fairly infrequent at the end of the day. And the real work and dialogue has to happen on campus. But I, I firmly believe that a conference that embraces um, this conversation and these issues provides the overall umbrella environment to have those conversations on campus. I really do believe that that is important to know that if you're at school A, to know that school B is having that same conversation that you can work together because this is not a one campus or one community problem or, or issue. This is something that collaboration and partnership and allyship across schools within a league, I think is so important. So, you know, what is it, what is it meant for our what has it meant for our community and all the different stakeholders? You know, one is our student athletes who are very active on social media are active, engaged, willing participants in all the different social media campaigns that we run, whether it's, you know, using a hashtag or posting photos during Pride Month or during our spread respect games that we have during basketball season. You know, to, to, to be uh, maybe a student athlete who is uncomfortable with themselves, doesn't know, is still exploring, or to be that like 10 year old kid in the stands who went to the volleyball match or basketball game with their family to see student athletes, both men and women, straight, gay, uh, and every and ev everyone on that spectrum, you know, being visible with their support, I think is so critical. And I think that's where conference campaigns or conference efforts can be so important. That visibility, you know, it, it might be a t-shirt and a hashtag on the one hand, that's like one very small tangible item, but the power that that has is truly remarkable to know that you can just look up, even if you're uncomfortable using your voice or you haven't found your voice yet, to see that and know that once you are able to use your voice or want to start doing that, that you're going to have support in your athletics department, in your team, I think is, it is like cannot underscore the importance of that in helping um, a student athlete work through that process during their four or five years on a campus. 
Thank you for that. Does anybody else want to address how you're being inclusive within your staff, student athletes and coaches? The only other thing I wanted to say to, to what Amy said was, I think also when it comes from the conference level, um, it kind of shows that the conference isn't going to stand for anything less than people being treated um, the way that, that they should be treated, you know? And so from that level, there's, there's also accountability um, on the schools, on the behavior that um, the conference won't accept. So um, I think that's important too. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with that. And I want to, you know, kind of, continue to talk about, you know, support, right? Support comes in many forms. Support comes in, in the form of education. Um, and I know, Lane, you mentioned this in your opening, just what you're doing there at Lansing. So can you tell us a little bit more about how you're taking on this education um, with your uh, specific institution? Yeah, um, we, uh, as the basketball coach and, you know, I work in the president's office, so that gives me kind of the unique, um, ability to be able to, to do things college-wide. Um, and so what, what I was really proud to do was an event that we called Full Court Pride, right? Because when you think about um, doing events for LGBTQI+, QIA+, you think about Pride Month, you think about um, you know Trans Awareness Week in November, you think about the ones you must hit, right? Like that's, that's the basic foundation, we have to do that. Um, and so I would suggest that if possible, um, like Amy was saying, that you do add an event when you can um, by sport. And so for basketball, we came up with a uh, full court ride and it was it was about partnering with the community, um, but also um, doing something that we hadn't done, um, maybe making some people a little uncomfortable, um, but making sure that we showed that our athletic department was unified um, behind this community um, and that we support this marginalized community. So, um, you know, she made, she brought up t-shirts, but both of our basketball teams, they're, warm-up shirts were our logo was changed to rainbow colors and so you think about um you know maybe even some of the men's basketball players women's basketball players that maybe didn't want to do that they all did you know all the coaches did that it was kind of a singular effort um, to show that as an athletic department um, we are inclusive we are welcoming um, and we're inviting um, and so you know that that would be your standard event you know you've got you know you got speakers and you have giveaways um, but we invited people from the community um, to say, you know, this is kind of a day to raise awareness, um, connect with others, um, and meet the team. And so I was proud to do that. It was, it was really well received. I mean, we also have a group on campus called PRISM, um, and I'm the chair of that group, and it's for, it's for employees. Um, and so we, we, we make a lot of, uh, we put a lot of effort into developing activities where people can connect, but also, um, we take a lot of time to make sure that, people's preferred names are what, they, what they're supposed to be, right? That we're using the correct pronouns, that they understand that they have an avenue um, for how to do that stuff. Because if we can create an environment where everybody feels welcome, right, we're doing something right. So those are a couple of things that we're doing. Um, I mean, we have, to, we have to continue to get better. Thank you for that. And, and, and both Amy and Lane touched on, you know, how we're promoting this at games. And I love that Amy Senecola is with us today you know, from a sports information director position, right? Like everybody always wants to tell the story of our student athletes and the great things that they're doing on the court. Um, but how how do we share these stories um, from the lens of our students, student athletes potentially coming out or as I like to say, inviting in? So Amy, from your seat, how can we help 
you know, our other sports information directors kind of share the stories of our student athletes. Yeah, so one of the biggest reasons why I got into sports info and why I love what I do um, is because we can tell we're in that place to tell the student athlete story. Um, like any personal interest story, it's our job to provide a platform um, for the student athletes to be able to share, you know, their personal struggles, their perseverance um, stories, or their their personal victories. Um, I believe that's important in order to tell that or to tell our coming out stories or, you know, whatever that might be for our athlete, it's important to find out the athletes, I guess, quote unquote, why. Um, and then it's our job or my job as sports information um, directors to, to support that and to portray that why the best way that we can possibly. Um, you know, there's, there's many whys, right? Um, every, every why looks different. Um, it could be doing it because maybe they didn't have, you know, someone before them to look up to, um, and they want to be that person for uh, the younger generations. Someone like myself, per se, that might be my why. Uh, they, they want to show other athletes that it's not only okay to be who you are, but to be proud of, of who you are. Um, this gives a sense of connectivity between all our student athletes and the younger generations and people around them. Um, another reason uh, why might be maybe they want to share or show everyone that they, you know, I guess conquered um, their fear of coming out. Um, you know, for me, again, I was afraid to come out of because of where I was and the people I was surrounded by. Um, so that's, uh, you know, that's the athletes don't want to be ashamed of who they are anymore. Um, so, again, that might be another reason, um, you know, some being proud of who you are is and conquering something is also like an example. There's a lot of stories that are on social media of student athletes that, you know, have struggled with injuries, right? Like people love the comeback stories. So that's another reason or how we can share that as sports information directors. Um, another reason uh, for a why for a student athlete might be, you know, they just want to use sport as a platform. They're comfortable with, you know, their avenue of playing, but then they're also comfortable with who they are. Um, and so they use both of those platforms for, you know, we can use both of those platforms to promote um, their stories. And like Amy said, you know, social media is so powerful now um, in today's world with technology and using, you know, things such as hashtags um, to get people more involved, to generate more content or more um, visuals on what we're putting out there. Um, but yeah, I think the most important way to show those stories is to get the why to really understand our student athletes, um, because that's really important. And I think as an administrator at the you know, at a university level, um, it also shows that our university um, is inclusive and supportive of our student athletes, whatever that story might be. Um, you know, and again, for me personally, my why is my story and me being comfortable with who I am and where I was um, as a student athlete. And I just want to be that same person for our student athletes. Amy, that's awesome. Um, you, you gave us a lot of best practices. And so I'm gonna switch gears here. And, and what are some of the best practices you've all seen work among teammates and, and the athletic department personnel when it comes to members 
with varying viewpoints regarding LGBTQ plus matters. Gary, I'm gonna have you jump in here on that one. Sure, yeah, glad to. Um, boy, this is, a, this is a lengthy answer. I'm gonna see if I would be succinct in it because this, this is the, really chal the real challenge in all of this. Um, we've, heard the, we've heard the language, we've heard people talk about how polarized we are as, as a society, as a culture, and we are. Um, politically, socially, economically, um, uh, and, and we all have our identity groups in which we uh, put ourselves in. We even see it within our athletic departments. Um, and the truth of the matter is, is how do we enact change? How do we enact um, a greater sense of unity and, and less polarization? And we have that going on greatly here. I think one of the things that uh, I have learned is, is the conversation, having conversations, having conversations with student athletes as, as an AD, having one-on-one -on -one conversations. And the challenge is how do you start those conversations? They're very difficult to do. Um, you know, Amy talked uh, about a fear and, and I think we all have a built-in fear wherever you are on, on the spectrum of this issue, there is a fear of, do I say anything? And what do I say? And how do I say it? And how do I start a conversation? Um, it has been interesting in our work in common ground. Um, and, and kudos to Amy Wilson of the NC2A, who has done a lot to, to put this together, along with Pat Griffin, who's been a pioneer. And I might mention Skip Lord of, of Houghton College, who's been a significant part of this. One of the things that we've learned is just uh, to have conversations, to be able to allow people to ask questions and to answer questions as boldly as possible and to not react to those answers or to those questions. And, and a lot of them are always, why? Why do you believe this? Why do you do this? Why do you see it this way? And I think for 18, 19, 20-year-olds, those are hard conversations to, to have. They're just, there's a maturity factor about that. Um, but it is interesting, two Ivy League professors, I want to say it's about 10 years ago, maybe longer than that, started doing a study as to what causes people to change their minds. Why do people change their minds and what are the forces that do that? One of the things they learned is that every day we change our mind a thousand times. I'm going to sit in this chair or sit in that chair. I'm going to have this for lunch or this for, for lunch. Am I going to drive in this lane, drive in that lane? They, they discovered in this study of change that we make changes all the time. But when it comes to our identities and our securities, we don't make change. We, we lock in um, to who we are and what we've become to know, whether it's being a student athlete, whether it's being... Uh, any, any other identity that we, we connect to. What they discovered is that change comes through relationship and that change when it comes to some level of my identity and who I am happens through lengthened relationships and lengthened conversations and um, entering into relationships with people. And so I think one of the important things for me as an administrator, as an athletic director at Azu Specific, is to enter into conversations with our student athletes one-on-one -on -one or small group and, and earn, earn trust. Trust is real important in all of this. And I think that's where fear comes from as a lack of trust. And I think that's, that's legitimate. That's, that's, not a, that's not a criticism of anyone with fear in this. The fear is real, it's legitimate. Um, but how do you enter into these conversations, overcome the fear, and how do you develop trust to where you can have conversations that really begin to enact 
thought and change. Um, those are those are challenging, and I think um, I think for administrators uh, who may be a little bit farther years than their advance, and I'm I'm probably one of the older people who are involved in this uh, conversation today. Uh, it takes some time, it takes some wisdom to be able to develop those skills. But I would encourage people to enter into conversations, to enter into relationships uh, that allow trust to be built, and and then to be sensitive in those conversations that allow for certain questions to be asked and for certain answers to be given and for there not to be criticism, judgment, preaching, um, and, and this desire to change people like this. And I think that's one of our, one of our challenges in our country right now, uh, particularly on a political spectrum. We wanna change people now. And that's just, that's not human nature and it's not what uh, science has told us happens with change. So a lengthy answer, Sorry for being a little long-winded on that, but that's, I would say conversation and relationships and having the courage to step forward in those are, are key elements. That's awesome, Gary. It looks like we're getting a lot of questions from our audience. So I'm gonna throw some of these questions at you all. Um, first one is, how do we move the needle for LGBTQA plus inclusivity for student athletes and staff alike in an athletics atmosphere hinged on traditional values. Hire Gary Pine. <laughs> no. Well. I, I mean, I, I will say I had, I've had the opportunity to attend one of the Common Ground sessions and I was, I was blown away by the level of dialogue and the trust that was established in just a couple of days. I mean, they're not very long sessions, right? And I, I approached that with the trepidation and sort of hesitation around what I was walking into because I really had no idea other than the theme of the event. But that illustrated to me, reminded me just how important it is to approach it in the way that Gary said, these conversations. It, it's all in the approach. And, and, establish a human connection with people, regardless if you you walk in knowing that you may have very fundamentally different beliefs on issue A or issue B, and obviously in the purposes for the context of this conversation, it's around um, LGBTQ plus identity and, <clears throat> and things of that nature. But, um, you know, we're all people at the end of the day. And if you can just approach it with some, a little bit of empathy and kindness, um, and not with the attempt, like Gary said, to change someone's mind, but to more just like embrace their heart. That it like sounds like a little corny, um, but it's so true. And that's all that people want, I think, is to feel um, connected. Not, you know, I think people at their base want to feel loved, but even if we can't get that far, just to feel safe and, and, and trusted and, and be connected to a trusting person that they know is going to respect them, even if they disagree or have different viewpoints. And it, it's like so fundamental to us as humans and, and creatures on, on this earth. But that's how you approach it, I think. This is not, these can be really complicated issues and matters. And we can, because we're humans and we, we can spin up all sorts of different scenarios to complicate things. At the end of the day, I think people just want to feel safe. And if we can do that, um, I think that is the fundamental objective in these conversations, even if we come from we, we, the other person that we're speaking to or the environment that we're at at our particular institution is traditional or faith-based or whatever the, whatever the sort of foundation is of that community. Um, I, I would hope that all of us in higher education can 
are approaching our students and the education of our students with that top of mind. I think I think all that. Oh, sorry. I just think just quick. I I think all that takes time too, right? Like, I mean, just like relationships and things like that. Even in my own personal experiences, even family stuff. Like that just takes time, and it takes conversations and just being real with people. And you know, my relationships with people at Liberty still to this day. Um, I just feel comfortable, you know, the university as a whole might not be doing things, um, but the people that I know and the relationships that I've developed with those um, people in administration, that's what makes me feel good. And I know at some point, again, things take time and at some point, hopefully that needle will slowly begin to, to move. I was just going to say, um, back to Amy H, I love what you said when you thought you were being corny, you know, that's why I wore this shirt that says love wins because it's a reminder, right? Like if you've been in a marginalized community, if you're, you know, if you've had to come out, if you've ever, you know, you know, struggled with who you are or have been rejected, right? Like love, right? When you, you can tell that somebody's coming at you from, from a place where they actually care, um, that makes a difference. And, and something that Gary said about kind of the environment, how you, you know, changing people overnight, you know, there are small things that you can do overnight that, that might seem small, right? But it gives a student athlete or a person kind of an inside look that, oh, maybe I can trust this person. Like think about your email signature, right? Like if you put your pronouns in there, that's like a really quick, like that person, that person gets it, right? Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, what, what kind of things are around your campus right now? Right, like they're safe zone stickers. I mean, there's little things that can give that 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 students are looking for to let them know that they're in a safe place or that the person that they're talking to um, is somebody that you know might understand. So that just popped into my head. A real real quick, I'll try to share a story here from the first common ground that I was ever a part of back in 2014. A group of about 40 people. We were going around the tables, introducing, standing up, and introducing ourselves. And I was very nervous. Uh, I, I knew I had kind of scouted out. I was uh, one of about six or seven faith people of faith that were there. I knew I was about one of five people that was straight. And so I introduced when I got up and introduced myself, I was pretty nervous of, of how do I introduce myself and how do I identify myself for fear of rejection. I think that's that's one of the things that's that's around this whole subject matter. So I introduced myself and then sat down. Two people at my table, two people later, uh, a, a lady stood up and says, um, introduced herself, and she said, I hate white men. And I was the only white person that had said anything at that point, and I was the only man at that point who had said anything. Uh, I take it, I was the only white male to say anything. And you heard a, an audible gasp in the room. And when she was done, she sat down, and I reached across the table and said, hey, you and I, we need to talk. And she says, you and me? I go, yeah. She goes, okay. And as soon as she said, okay, in my mind, I went, holy cow, what have I done? I mean, because I didn't know what to say. I don't know why I even asked that question. We need to talk. But about 56 hours later, we sat down and talked. We'd kind of gotten to know each other in some of our small groups actions and sat down. And I first thing I said is, hey, why do you hate me? She says, Gary, I don't hate you. But then she began to tell her story about why she struggled with white men. And as she unfolded and told that story, I began to understand why she had come to that conclusion. And she and I have a have a friendship now. We're very different, extremely different. 
But if I were to see her, I'd run up and give her a hug right now. She, and we'd sit down and talk. But it came back to a point of, of being vulnerable, of having some trust, asking a question, um, and, and be beginning to build off of that. Now, granted, yeah, I, as I said before, I think that's hard for, for college-age students, but I want to encourage them to begin to be able to enter into dialogues um, and ask questions. And, and I think one of the things I've learned is getting comfortable at being uncomfortable. And, and as a society, we move to our corners where we're most comfortable. We crave comfort in this culture. I think if we're ever going to see any change in here, we've got to learn how to be uncomfortable at being uncomfortable. And that means engaging in, in conversations that are, that are difficult and challenging, but with respect and with an honor and a dignity to whoever we might be having that conversation with across the table. Yeah, you just mentioned about being vulnerable in, in this space. And so another question from my audience member is, do you all find it important to come out to coworkers or administrators? Uh, this person has said, I've always struggled on deciding whether or not to do so. Uh, I'll go first. I mean, I mean, I think I think it's important, um, but I also think it's a personal choice, um, and it depends on also what 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 kind of coming out. You know, for me, I was going to be um, changing kind of significantly. I mean, if you even look down at that image that's in the flyer, <laughs> don't sort of don't look like that, you know? Um, and so that was going to be important for me to, to let people know. Um, and thankfully, I was in a place where um, it was well accepted and we coordinated around it. Um, one thing I kind of want to circle back on that is, is that is that this also makes me like a walking billboard, right? So people that don't know me, you I would, you know, I'm at the point in my transition where you wouldn't know if you saw me on the street, you would have no idea, I hope. Right. Um, but that's a that's a fine line, because I also want to make sure that people do know, you know, so if you were there during the transition, when I walk into the room, I'm a reminder that there's different people um, in your space and we need to and we need to make sure that um, that we keep that in mind. And so I think that when you come out one, it helps to educate people. Right. Like you're still the same you. They just know something, uh, something a bit more about you, and that helps, and that helps them learn. Um, and so I think that I, I, it was positive for me, um, and I understand that it's not like that for everybody. And so that's why when I walk into a room, I want to be a reminder that when I'm here, you're going to be okay. Those are my thoughts. Thank you, Lane, for that. Does anybody else want to take a stab at that conversation? I, I've also. As Lane said, I think it coming out at the end of the day is a personal individual choice about what that person feels comfortable with. I, I would hope that um, someone never feels pressure to come out because that leads to a whole series of other issues and <clears throat> challenges for that person. And, you know, I hope people are never forced to come out or outed, as they say, because that also is not helpful to anyone. Um, but I think certainly to have visible, identifiable um, coaches, staff, student athletes, administrators <clears throat> who are out, you know, supports all the things that we've been talking about, about having visible um, role models, visible allies and that sort of thing. But I, um, I've always sort of struggled with, uh, you know, as people talk about, oh, there's only this many out 
uh, administrators or ADs or coaches in this sport or that sport, like, okay, well, what does that really mean? Just because they, someone had a press press conference or had a press release about it, that's how we're measuring out. That's a really poor metric in my mind. Um, and that's not the way that we should be measuring whether someone is comfortable in their own skin or is out to their their team. There are a lot of coaches who are out to their teams, right? But they don't, and they may or may not have that listed in their biography on their website. Again, that's, that's all to me, uh, what that person feels comfortable with based on all of the conditions and in factors in that person's environment. Um, it really, I don't think ever hurts. Once someone's ready, I think people are, I hope that people would embrace it and that um, leads to good things. But I, I never, I, I hope that people never feel pressure to do that. I, I think it absolutely is an individual choice. Thank you for that, Amy. Um, another question from my audience is, with all the social justice focus and work on racial injustices right now, as it should be, how do you continue to make sure not to forget about other social injustices and put in the hard work for LGBT inclusion? I think um, I think it's hard in general right now. About a month ago, I shared with some people that I felt like I was going through several things, you know, all that, like a trifecta of things, right? We had the pandemic going. We have the racial injustice. I felt like that as a black man, right? And then you have the LGBT part, just as a as a trans person. And I felt just like a tornado of things at at, at a certain point, you know, right around George Floyd. And so, no, we don't. You know, it's. I think it. I definitely think it's about balancing, you know. But it goes back to right, like who who needs the most support when everybody needs support. We all do. We can never forget it. Um, but it's all intermingled, you know, when you talk about um, this is maybe 60 years since Stonewall, you know what I mean? I mean, that that was two groups together um, in that riot. Um, and so I think we, we have to remember that as marginalized groups, you know, like we're all fighting for the same thing, which is equality. Um, and so, you know, while there might be a spotlight on one thing right now, right, we all we all are still in the fight. And if one of us, you know, gets some help, it helps the other. And so we have to, that's kind of how I'm looking at it and how I work myself through that trifecta of the fiasco that we're in right now. Yeah, I would agree with Lane. I actually read, um, I, I have read a couple articles where it has this conversation and, and different authors or columnists try to pit like one marginalized group against another marginalized group marginalized group and I, I'm like I sure hope people aren't taking that bait because it's <clears throat> it's like a false it's a false narrative and a, it's a false sort of argument that people are trying to craft in, in my opinion I, I think um, I completely agree with what Lane said about marginalized people or underrepresented groups uh, binding together and I actually read just read a book I don't know who reads Zadie Smith or is familiar with the author Zadie Smith but she's like a brilliant writer and she just released in the last like couple of weeks or months, um, month or so, um, a, a series of short essays that she wrote since March, since the pandemic. And she flipped it out and published it. And the book is called Intimations. But the very last essay is around um, the virus. And it's not the virus of the pandemic that she's talked, the coronavirus that she's talking about. It's a virus of racism. And towards the end there, she talks about how really to overcome racism or any form of, form of discrimination against a targeted group, it's really gonna require 
the collection of marginalized people, the collection of underrepresented people to come together and, and work together because clearly uh, we've not been able to do it in the history of our country as segmented groups. And so the sooner, you know, my, my interpretation of her essay was the sooner all of these groups or more of these groups can bind together, um, the sooner we will start to really make meaningful progress around all types of discrimination. Um, so that's how, you know, th that was really compelling to me as I thought about that at this time where we are facing, as, as Lane described, really, a, what did you call it, tornado of, of challenges with probably more to come. You know, it's only September mm -hmm. and, you know, goodness knows what's going to come for the next three months before the calendar turns to 2021. Um, but that, that really resonated with me. And I, I, um, I think it goes back but, to, I think it just goes back to, of, again, having these conversations, right? Because sometimes we're afraid we're uncomfortable with the uncomfortable and not knowing or what we should say or what we should bring up or what's more important, right? I think, again, it's just having conversations like this and understanding where all aspects of life people are at and just being real and having those conversations and understanding everybody and understanding that we all mean something. I think that's the biggest thing. So I've received a few questions regarding student athletes. So let's kind of jump in here. So can you all share some ideas on how to build an interest for student athlete gay straight alliance on our campuses and next steps to create a program from there? I mean, I think if we were going to do it, you know, we're everybody that's on campus. If you're in the athletic department, you're around your athletes. Um, and I don't know. I just I just say things the way they are. I mean, you can you either know your athletes well or you get an idea or you know things. Right. Or there's somebody you could reach out to to say, what do you think about this? Right. Like if it was me, I have a couple student athletes in mind that I'd say, hey, we're thinking of starting this group. Right. And and the great thing about um, the kids to me today is that for the most part, um, at least where, where I'm from and who I've been around, things are just okay, you know? I mean, they're not as judgmental. I mean, they're accepting, they're open. They're like, why are you guys being so crazy? Um, and so I don't think that these are, this is a far off idea. And I think that there's lots of colleges that have this specifically for athletes. Um, but I mean, I think it's about asking the question, whatever your way is that you communicate with your athletes, you ask the question and somebody will say yes. I mean, I, I think that without a doubt. And and since that question came up, that's one thing we don't have. You know, we have our regular student, uh, you know, straight and gay alliance for the college, but not student athlete specific. And so that's something that we should even look at because it is a different student athletes are a different, you know, they're a different group. <laughs> We also have a, a question that, you know, takes it a little step further with our student athletes. And that is, what is the biggest issue that LGBTQ plus student athletes are currently facing? I think it's hard, right? kind of what Lane was saying, the generation is different. The student athlete generation is different than even when I was in school. Um, you know, I didn't graduate that long ago, but I graduated in 2012 and it was a lot different then. 
um, and it's a lot more welcomed. And you know, even my student athletes, oh yeah, you know, that's that's who Amy is, right? Amy's gay. It's just normal. Where that was not that way. Um, so it's hard to really grasp, at least from from my like being a gay female. It's it's almost it's not normal, but it's okay, right? Like it's accepted. And I, I look at the student athletes now, and I, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not really sure, to be honest, like, I guess maybe, you know, being welcomed everywhere, per se, um, or, you know, they're the, the teachers or their administrators, maybe them not knowing what they might think, right, because they're the older generation, and they might not know what they believe, or if they support, and I think that goes back to, you know, us as a sports information department, being able to put that out there, as our department, as a university, showing that we care about you and we're inclusive and we are a welcome space. So I think that might be um, hard for student athletes now. Thank you, um, Gary. I'm, I'm gonna give you this this question um, because sure. I, I think it fits in with the work that you've done with the Common Ground. Um, and so there's a question in regards to in an effort to avoid language bias or offending someone, is there agreed upon terminology that supports LGBTQ plus inclusion? Yeah, you know, that, that's a great question, Risa, because we, we have tried to in common ground, um, and I need to find the, I believe it's on the NC2A website now under the inclusion pages, but we did put together, um, terms uh, and definitions to help people understand what certain things mean. I know for me, I had a lot to learn. Going back to something that I'll say Amy S, I think we're going Amy H and Amy S, but that Amy S had just talked about. Um, and this is a broad generalization. This is a very broad brush I'm painting with. So don't hold me tight to this, but I do think those who are 40 and over probably wrestle with this issue of LGBTQ and, and acceptance and acknowledgement more so than those who are 40 and under. And that's pretty general. Um, and so for administrators in athletics who are of, of my generation, I'll say I'm 58 years old, um, I think we're probably behind the curve in understanding uh, language, uh, understanding um, certain words and the power of them. Um, and we're ignorant in that sense and I don't, I don't that's not a criticism that's just we haven't we haven't been educated and i have in in entering into this dialogue have learned a lot um about the power of certain words that i was not aware of uh that i needed people to help come along and say hey gary that's that doesn't work that's not right and and i think them knowing oops i didn't mean to be that use that language in that way Although I do think there are people who do know what they're saying and are trying to to, to target and to hurt. Um, but I would encourage people to go to the NC2A inclusion, inclusion page and you're gonna find common ground in there and then go to the common ground page. And I'm pretty sure we put in there uh, words and definitions to help people understand what they mean and and what could be harmful and what's, what's not harmful. Um, we even put in phrases in there that can be offensive to certain people groups that we may be unaware of. And so um, uh, that's, a, that's a great place to start. In fact, that created some of the best conversations we've ever had. Um, when people said, well, 
I've heard this question or I've heard this statement before. And people in another identity group will say, well, this is how I hear it. This is how it comes across to me. And we get into some terrific conversations. So uh, I apologize, I don't have that at my fingertips here, but that's knowing phrases and words and how they could be received is a great conversation starter in terms of trying to understand other people's viewpoints. And I think just since this is a COSIDA um, panel, I'm not um, a communications professional by any stretch of the imagination, but I know that that's your job. And so, you know, I would say go find find that resource on the NSA website or any other resource on the proper terms and references. And the same thing on issues of race, because clearly we're dealing with some of that stuff. And we've learned in the last few months, if we didn't know it before, the words we use in that space are also very imp important and impactful. And even if it's out of ignorance, um, it can be really harmful to a person or a community. And so, you know, I would develop that sort of uh, protocol or, or rubric if in your in your workflow as a communications office and if you don't have so that when you hire um, a coach that might identify as LGBTQ plus um, you know how to you know talk about that person you know how to ask questions around should we include your partner spouse wife husband what have you in the release right you like get familiar so that if, if you if you haven't had to experience that yet, just so that you are you are prepared. And the same thing if a student athlete um, wants to tell his or her story or their story or or what have you, I think that that will show that you as a communications professor professional are open and willing to like embrace and support um, that person and their identity in the scope of your job. All right, so I want to go around the horn for this question. All right, so do you think departments should increase staff for diversity-related offices, similar to how student development offices have been expanded, rather than it being one person? And what will it take for us to get there? What, what part of the horn are you starting with, Risa? <laughs> Uh, let's go with Lane. Jeez. Supposed to start with an A or a G? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, my the first thing I saw this question in the chat, and the first thing that popped in my head was, what will they do? Okay. And because we don't want to just throw things at something to say that we did it, right? Like, you know, we're, we've increased the number of people that – we've increased the number of people in our diversity office because it matters to us you know i mean what are the what are the real tangible things behind it that will support the need for additional people right like what's the plan what are we trying to do um on the other side of it though the more people that are trained in diversity equity and inclusion the more people who you know maybe understand the issues that face student athletes that work in that type of a setting, um, that can be helpful. At LCC, we have a chief diversity officer, right? And so that has an office that's overarching for the entire college. Um, and they they put on our diversity and inclusion initiatives, right? There hasn't been as much tie-in with the athletic department as there should be, but that doesn't mean that we need a specific person for the athletic department. It means that we need to look at what we're doing and say, you know, where, do we, where are we at right now? Where do we wanna be, right? And how do we get there in between? 
Um, and so I'd say before you, this is just my own opinion, but before you add people, figure out what it is you want to do, right? And what it's going to take to get there, because there's basic things that need to happen first, right? Like, are your preferred name, are your preferred, is your preferred name initiative done, right? Can, does everybody understand, you know, how to use pronouns? What's your restroom situation looking like? You know, do you have single stalls? What do they say on those doors? I mean, there's little things to do to prepare your environment before, you know, that will help a student walking in the door more than just having another staff person. Um, kind of going off of what Lane was talking about and working at a, a smaller university um, where we don't have you know the financials to even if to to hire more staff um i think if you get in that direction like lane was saying all those other things that you need to get there before just hiring someone else um i think it's important to even get student athletes involved if you know you have student athletes that are open or or willing to be open and to represent um something like that um you can create a group where you know, other student athletes are welcome to to join or be that middleman between athletics and their university and as a whole. Because um, we struggle with that here um, at, you know, a very small university, um, a satellite campus off of IU. Um, you know, for, for myself, I'm starting to be more involved in our diversity and inclusion department as, as a, at the university. So I think, you know, Again, coming from a smaller school, it's important for us to bridge that gap between athletics and the university as a whole. And that's how we can do it right now financially. And then just getting student athletes that are, you know, talking to them and it's like, hey, you want to be more involved? Great. And then eventually building from there. Yeah, I would echo what Amy and Lane have said. Um, one of the things I try to do at Azusa Pacific is try to make sure the student athletes are blended in with with the university. I try not to separate out with with housing, with dining dining halls, um, with classes. Uh, I want our student athletes to be part of the community there. And, and I think, you know, the majority of colleges and universities are resource strapped. Very few are part of the Power Five and have have other than COVID years uh, extra income coming in. So it's difficult. I'd be careful about adding people into Lane's point for it being window window dressing. It's more about what are you doing and what can you do with what you have. And I do think one of the, uh, to, to Amy's point, that one of the important things to do is get athlete, athletics and student athletes engaged in what the university is doing as whole and tied into those resources. I do think student athletes are leaders on campus. And if they're engaged, if you can get them engaged in certain activities, the rest of the campus is more likely to follow along and, and, and move in that direction. I think a lot of our colleges and universities have good initiatives and good ideas. They are strapped for personnel, but let's <laughs> athletics get behind that and move those and, and, and open up those doors for engagement. Yeah, and I'll, I'll I, clearly we're in a different financial time and even in normal times, no one, no one in higher education has enough money to do everything that they want. I, I will submit just by way of offering a different sort of, but I think complementary point of view is I do think bigger staffs in this area are important as, as we've learned about systemic racism and systemic discrimination across all different groups. There's a reason for that. It's not simply that we have, you know, under, we're understaffed and in, um, um, inclusion offices, 
but I don't think it's helped when you think of how how big some of these campuses are, even uh, you know a smaller private. There are a lot of faculty, staff, students involved, even at a small private, let alone a major research university. And if we're really serious about trying to make progress and start to bend towards change, we have to, as an industry, as particular institutions, I think, invest more time, money, resources, and whatever that looks like, given the financial circumstances on any, any campus. But it can't just be in one person. I, I think in some cases, what I've seen in higher education or in athletics, where now more athletics departments, at least in you know division one, are identifying this person or that person as a diversity officer. I, I applaud that, but I also am skeptical that it's performative based on the time in circumstances of the last few months. And so I think there needs to be a team, but that doesn't need to be, you know, to the point that others have made. You can create a team to focus on this or a committee or what have you. Higher ed is notorious for creating committees. Um, but get people involved to help you in, in leverage the different units and departments on campus and different stakeholders. So there's certainly ways to address this in a different way than we've tried in the past. But I, I firmly believe that if we're going to try to change something here, um, across all spectrums of diversity, inclusion, and discrimination, we've got to do something different. And that, that is going to require probably a few more dollars in some, in some cases. Well, y'all, this has been a fascinating conversation. And, and I know we could go for another couple hours having this conversation. Um, so I just, I want to wrap us up here and thank everybody for joining today. Um, but a huge thank you to our panelists for this discussion and your insights. Um, just a reminder that you can find this webinar on demand later this afternoon on cosida.com and on Cosida's YouTube channel. It is always it is also going to be in a podcast format. All the links to this will be on the cosida.com website. All the on-demand options are free of charge. Again, thank you all for joining us today. A reminder that part two of our LGBTQ plus inclusion initiatives and college athletics webinar will take place at 1 p.m. Eastern next Tuesday, September 29th, where we'll hear from former and current student athletes. Next week's, next week's moderator will be George Washington University's Director of Athletics, Tanya Vogel. We hope to see you then.